Hello and welcome everybody to the High Ground Podcast. Um, what's up, Starfax? Is early game. How's it going, buddy? Uh, yeah, kind of awesome show because I have brought on all new guests. These are all you know first times coming out here on the High Ground, and we're gonna get into some some deep topics. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll jump right into it here on the High Ground. All right. Hello and welcome, everybody. Um, welcome to the high ground. Again, I'm super excited to uh, talk and hang out with everyone here. Um, I want to start, though, by going around and uh, having everyone introduce themselves. Um, and I will we'll start by, say, by asking, you know, who are you? Where can we find your awesome topic? And if you had to pick a time, a place, and a profession in the Star Wars universe, what would you choose? And uh, for this one, I'm going to go to Chase first. Hey, uh, I'm Chase. I'll be on TikTok at Forward Into the Black. Um, if I could live in Star Wars, I would definitely live in the era of the New Republic. I'd probably live somewhere close to the Midrim, and I would definitely be uh, like a transport pilot, like shipping to Bonagas, like between uh, systems. Nice. I like it. Uh, any any particular era or anything like that? Probably, let's say, 50 years ABY. 50 years ABY? Okay. Yeah. Nice. And uh, how about you, Gabriel? Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Gabe or Gabriel. Um, I'm a, a college lecturer and all that kind of fun stuff. I do critical media studies and a bunch of other really neat things. So um, I'm on TikTok at Dr. Dot underscore C, and I do... Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at GA Cruz uh, PhD. So um, if I had to be someone in the Star Wars, so it would, I would like to think it'd be like someone cool, like a, a pilot or something like that, but I'm, I'm a freaking nerd in this life and any other. So I'm probably like an archivist in my mind. I see myself as like an amateur archivist or maybe a relic collector in, um, in the, uh, the era of the original trilogy, you know, trying to pick up a Republican, a Republic era of stuff and stuff. Nice. All right. Uh, I love it. And last but not least, we have uh, Philosophy with Suf. Hi, uh, my name is Sufyan. Uh, I'm in the process of becoming a philosopher, long, long road ahead. Um, I run Philosophy with Suf on TikTok as well as Freeze Dry DM uh, for uh, D&D and other 3D printing content. Um, in terms of where I'd want to be on, in the Star Wars universe, probably High Republic era. Uh I think I'd want to be on one of the ships scouting new hyperspace lanes. So, you know, out there in space all the time. Um, yeah, I think that would nice. be my pick. Wandering the void. Oh, man, it's it's funny because we, we know how things turn out and how there's a bunch of plans and stuff out there. But it's funny to think about how at that point in time they didn't quite know. And this was like the Wild Wild West type deal. I know it just sounds, sounds terrifying. <laughs> To me, I I do feel like I do feel like I'd be something you know relatively safe. I I I'd see myself as like a I'd see myself being a small time like smuggler or something like that. You know, back back in the day, I actually did take a lot of risks, and I always dreamed of being a rally driver. 
And so I can see that kind of translating into me being this sort of a space transporter. Uh, but yeah, I love it. And so all of us love Star Wars and we love, you know, this type of content. And just to kind of kick things off, I want to hear what you guys' thoughts on like what role Star Wars and other fictional stories play in in our lives. And are these important, are these stories important um, at all? And I'll, I'll start with uh, with Gabriel to kick it off. But again, conversational, y'all feel free to jump in and, and add. Um, I'll make sure everyone gets a chance to talk. But yeah, uh, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, so uh, so I mentioned earlier that you know I study like pop media and stuff like that. One of the things I use is um, narrative analysis, and and I think this sort of gets into uh, how these stories are useful because narrative analysis is all about how we make sense of the world around us based off of stories. And I think stuff like Star Wars, in particular, because it's so archetypal, does a really cool job of like presenting a worldview for us to sort of align ourselves within, right? And who we're sympathetic for, who we root for, who we hate, that kind of thing. Um, and so I think like part of the value of this is that, you know, we all like to think of ourselves as our own protagonist, but whether we're Ray or Luke or, you know, Obi-Wan is a matter of, you know, how we sort of define ourselves in these stories. So I think it's, I think part of the value of this is that, you know, we get to make sense of right and wrong and, also, we also get to test, you know, what kind of threshold we have, like, right? So, like, I'm I'm a little confused about people who want to sort of whitewash the war crimes of Darth Vader, for example. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love Darth Vader. I love Anakin. But we also, like, we got to do with the bad with good, right? And so if we're willing to kind of look past some of those things, maybe that says something about us. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think we each take something different from these stories. And then seeing what someone else takes from a story tells us a lot about other people. Um, you know, each every every fictional story means something different to someone else. Yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating. Like, like you said, as I talk to people and interact with others, um, and you start to you can notice certain trends with, um, you know, certain it helps us make sense of the world around us. You know, especially as young people, and people in certain situations will glob on to certain characters uh, in order to fill their way of, out of those stories. And people who had the exact opposite experience probably won't. And I, I think it's fascinating. How about you, Chase? Yeah. I mean, I, what's so interesting about Star Wars to me is that um, the Jedi and the Sith obviously aren't real, but we also don't have like a, a real world comparison to line them up to because they use the force and stuff like that. Uh, so it gives us this kind of like surreal aspirational quality. Like, the idea is you want to be as good as a Jedi, right? You know, that's for a lot of people, that's like the, the peak goodness is to be a Jedi. You know, they're the, the greatest thing that you can imagine. And I think their moral compass does align with, I think what we usually kind of view as like an objective or subjective morality in the real world. But I think it's so interesting that again, we don't have anything like that, but we always attain to be that thing that isn't real. So I think it's very interesting how the world post star Wars post 1977 has kind of, like you, you hear things like, oh, that's very Jedi-like in pop culture. Um, so yeah, I think these stories really do influence just who we are, how we exist in the world. Yeah, I love uh, it. Uh, Chase, if I could add on to that, actually, yeah. I think maybe a really good point about the Jedi in particular, right? Because like, you're right, they are these sort of hallmarks of like what it means to be just and good and help mm -hmm. people and things like that, right? But if you pay close attention to the stories, you also see these are still human beings. Well, <laughs> yeah. These are still people who are very flawed, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and that's, that's kind of a relief that, yeah, you can be a little, 
you can still grapple with some things. You can have some regrets. You mm-hmm. can blow up a planet or two and still try to be a good person. Yeah. And Gabriel, you're right. Way too many people like gloss over the fact that Darth Vader is one of the worst war criminals to ever exist. <laughs> like he's redeemed, yeah. but only to himself and Luke. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's a good point. I was, I was actually thinking about like, so I haven't read much of the comics, but there's a line from one of the Vader comics where he says, I'm surrounded by fear and dead men. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and when I read that, I was like, that is so metal, not a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty interesting, though. It also, um, particularly in the sequels, it's, with Luke, it sort of held up how there's this pressure to be the just and the good, and they are just people, right? It's living with those expectations that are bigger than you can ever be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's the aspiration versus the actual people who have to live it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then oh, real quick, just a, a real quick housekeeping thing. If you guys wouldn't mind in the little private chat here, let me know any socials that you want me to plug or make sure that gets added onto the YouTube video description and all that stuff. Uh, sure. So if you can pop that in the private chat, that'd be awesome. Um, and let's see here. We got just a couple shout outs real quick from the chat. Uh, we got a uh, B in here. He's over in the UK. So so it's very late. Uh, what's up, Nidrix? Malik, the Jedi Smark. Man, Malik uh, just recently GM'd a Star Wars um, tabletop RPG game. We ran a single session. It was me. It was Element 7. It was Shalo Ren. Um, it was... Uh, we, we just had a, an awesome cast. Uh, it was B Dazzler. We had a great cast of people. And so the first episode of that's coming up on Saturday. So I'll be releasing that. Um, Nan Antoinette, we got Xanatos in the chat, Darthman86, Higo Damask27. Always respect the name because that's my boy Darth Plagueis, uh, St. Pat, Galactic Mermaid. Um, he says, I had a professor who's a huge Star Wars fan and he really tried to internalized Jedi philosophy really showed in how he interacted with the young people. I think it's really cool. And yeah, we can take the good and, uh, and, you know, apply it, even though these things aren't one-to-one ratios. It, I don't, I truly believe it makes a huge difference. Uh, and then on the conversation of the morality of it, Malik says, uh, chopper has entered the chat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Chopper's a chopper's monster. The goodest, (laughs) no, the goodest boy. (laughs) Good, good at good at murder. Uh, he's good at chaos. We'll we'll say. All right. Um, so yeah, I mean, as we're getting into it, I gotta ask you guys your top three films um, in the franchise. Uh, top three films and your favorite show. We won't go further than that because we don't. We're not going negative here. We're we're only getting the best of the best. Uh, I'll start with uh, with Sufjan. Um, okay, my top three movies are going to have to be uh, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, and Last Jedi. Um, and favorite show is probably Rebels. Uh, and why? Um, I mean, I think that Rogue One is probably just the best put together of the Star Wars films, in my opinion. I really just like how it all hangs together in a sort of semi-self-contained uh, adventure, but then also manages to add to the world. Um, and I think as far as Rebels goes, it's just 
I think it showed us what the Jedi could really be. You know, even after the yeah. prequel era, it, uh, with Kanan in particular and his journey, and he was very human. He was just trying to live his life, but he ended his life being the best possible Jedi he could be. Um, and I think that journey was just kind of incredible. Okay. Yeah, my respect. Um, how about you, Chase? Um, I gotta say, I'm, I'm basic. Empire is my favorite movie. Um, um, I think it does teach some really valuable lessons in that movie. Um, I think the character arc that Luke kind of goes through in that movie, especially at the very, very end when he's kind of hanging from the, um, basically that little radio tower on cloud city is, you know, he, he does need to be rescued. And I think it's interesting when we see our, our protagonist is at a loss and needs to be rescued. Uh, next to that would be the last Jedi, because I think how deeply it goes into the philosophy of the force, and like even touches on some of like the economic stuff with um you know with the X-wings and the tie fighters basically being made by the same people uh it's just stuff to make you think more about Star Wars as it goes along and i guess for shows i honestly i'd say the mandalorian it's the one show i've actually finished um outside the holiday special um <laughs> so but yeah i do like i do like the mandalorian it's i'm a big fan of firefly um and it gave me like the best firefly vibes yeah yep I, I no good call on that. I, I've never even considered it in relation to Firefly, but I could definitely see Mando like being like them running into Mando and trying to get him to join, and he yeah. wouldn't. He wouldn't at all. No. Uh, Gabriel, yeah. So um, my number one is Return of the Jedi. Uh, so I saw I, I was like eleven or twelve years old when they re-released the movies in theaters ahead of like the prequel trilogy. So like. Seeing you know Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker has been burned into my brain. I, there's no, it's as superficial as that. It's just yeah, no, him <laughs> on the him on the skiff at the Sarlacc pit. That is you know I'm done. Um, the although I will say that Salacious Crumb is my most one of my most hated characters <laughs> in all of any fiction in any because I saw that I saw that clip in Jabba's palace when I was like five years old and that that critter just scarred me for life I, <laughs> makes my skin crawl um never mind all the other weird subtext happening in that scene just that one right uh the my, i guess my number two is um uh last jedi uh in particular because like by the time i saw that movie and i had to watch it a couple of times before i actually came around on it um I am someone who like studies the worst things about humans. Like I study racism and pop media. I study white nationalism, all that kind of stuff. And like, it's reassuring that someone like Luke can be as jaded at one point as he is and still maintain hope later on. Right. That there is a little uh, mini re uh, uh, renewing of the soul arc in that movie. Mm -hmm. um, so that means a lot to me. And, and also just that duel with Kylo is again, Jedi Knight Luke is it's like my favorite thing. Um, and then it's, the last one is Rogue One. I loved it from a storytelling perspective. I thought it was awesome. I do kind of get angry when I think about how they introduced Donnie N into the Star Wars universe and then killed him immediately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and as far as a, a TV show goes, um, the only one, uh, you know, like Chase, the only one that I've finished is uh, is The Mandalorian. Um, I've been tended, I've been really scared about trying to get into like the animated shows because there's just so much there. Um, so that's one of my like holiday projects is to, you know, start and finish one of those. But um, I really like how the Mandalorian looks at the Star Wars universe from the like lowest possible level. 
like just like no archetypal figures, no like, you know, larger than, you know, life, fate, consequences, that kind of thing. I mean, obviously there's the stuff with the child, sure, but like it's a lot of it's just people trying to survive in the wreckage mm -hmm. of what comes after. And I really appreciate that. That's cool. I, I like that a lot. Um, real quick, we got uh, Julie Christina chat saying, hi, everyone. Not sure I can stay the whole time, but just want to say I'm thrilled to see Dr. C here. Um, that Darth Man with A New Hope, uh, Revenge of the Sith, and The Last Jedi, and Clone Wars being his favorite. Um, let's see here. We have Buddha Wookiee here. And yeah, just a awesome group, awesome group in the chat. Uh, for me, The Last Jedi is, is my favorite. I mean, it's uh, between The Last uh, Jedi and Empire, it flops back and forth, but more often than not, it's The Last Jedi. I am just a huge Luke fan. Have been since I was little. Um, that was that was my hero um, for the longest time. He's been surpassed now, but just the love for those films is is just just peak. And then after that is uh, Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi used to be my favorite. Um, the ending of Return of the Jedi, I think, is peak Star Wars. Like that is what Star Wars is in my mind. Like when I'm reading books for the qualities. It's, it's this underdog fight. It's space battles. It's three storylines happening at the same time. It's the culminates in, in the good versus evil storyline, which then paves the way for the other ones to smaller storylines to, to follow. And yeah, it just gives me the best vibes. For shows, I always got to go Rebels. Rebels just has uh, a lot of heart. Um, the found family aspect of it. And um for y'all that haven't started the anime, the animated stuff, that's okay, right? There's there's no pressure. <laughs> I will say, uh, Clone Wars does start out a bit rough. You have to remember the animation was was not the best. Like when I first saw the Clone Wars in theaters, um, I, I I hated that film, and I, I still can't watch it. But um, also, uh, Rift Hampson, he's a big shark. Face guy, and he's my hated character, most hated character in pretty much all of fiction. I just listened uh, to the villains episode and I heard you go off on him, and I was like, "What did he <laughs> I, do?" I hate him so much. Uh, I'm halfway through season four right now. It does get better. I can yeah. say that, but this is like my third or fourth attempt trying to get through this series. I'm like, people like this, don't they? Okay. <laughs> there are great guides online where it just tells you like, here are the peak episodes, <laughs> yeah. like main storyline. I'm telling you, you hit season four, it, it should be fairly smooth sailing going forward. So, it's getting better. Yeah. Season three really kicked it off for me. <laughs> and then uh shout out to uh Jedi Master to Paul. Thank you so much um for 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 dropping some love. Always appreciate it. Um we're gonna be doing a big ramen party at Star Wars celebration. So this this all goes towards uh we, we call them ramen drops around these parts. Um <laughs> awesome. All right, well, let's jump into separated by trilogy, you know, so we can get into like these these themes. Um, I wasn't quite sure since I'm not as uh, you know intelligent as the rest of y'all, so I wasn't sure exactly how to <laughs> how to phrase these or or parse them out. But just jumping into the original trilogy as a whole, you know, I want to talk about what you guys feel about the morals are the overall themes. Um, are modern parallels and political echoes. And we'll kind of start with that chunk with what you guys kind of can come up with. 
Um, I'll start with, uh, with, with Chase, what jumps out at you. Yeah. I mean, for the original trilogy, I think it is a, a, such a classic good versus evil. It is the, like this and the matrix are like our modern day hero's journey. Um, they, it just follows it to the T so well, I think with the morals of the story, when we kind of learn that we have this, you know, rebel versus empire, but on top of that, we have the Jedi versus the Sith. Um, and I think the fact that these are based essentially off of like samurai films, you get these parallels into like pretty much like Chinese spirituality when it comes to the force. And I think that's start where we start to um, get like a little bit of the moral, the moral good, the moral bad and the moral gray. Um, Cause all these characters, we see Luke constantly through every film battle with himself internally. And we can interpret that as the light side or the dark side or just his, his negative and positive energy. So I think, I think it is a really good like starting point um, to kind of get into that discussion because it's just so to the point and it does it so well in the original trilogy. Um, how about you? Yeah. So when I think about sort of the, the, the parallels to our own, um, I think about, you know, where Luke starts off in the original trilogy, right on a backwater planet uh, on a moisture farm. Right. And he, like the empire exists, but it's it's not even real to him, not in a in a tangible way, right? It's an idea. And so I think about how, you know, all of us are on some level like a kid from somewhere, right? And so thinking about the larger than life ideas of like, you know, our own government, our society, our politics, and the stuff that we encounter and we encounter just the ideas of it and not the the real tangible manifestations of it, like the the you know horrors of war or social injustices or things like that but we still have a have an opinion on it so it's a, for me one of the things that's interesting about it is how that sort of parallels our own journey towards grappling with some of these things um in a in a more visceral way as we live a little longer and, and have a little more experience under our belts um and that you know by the end of the series you it's interesting that I was thinking about this. The series ends with the destruction of the second Death Star, but it doesn't like involve the creation of much of anything, mm-hmm. right? And so, like we're led to what you know, we understand what the pieces are in the in the series in the trilogy that follows. But I wonder about that about like how how it seems so much easier to sort of tear stuff apart than it is to build something new. Uh, whether that's from an artistic perspective or from, you know, our own social structures. I'm in education. It's real easy to critique higher education. It is harder than, you know, it should be by any rights to create something new that's beneficial. Um, and I wonder if, like, we would not be, if we wouldn't benefit from that sort of imagination happening on screen. But, yeah. Interesting. Um yeah, I, I think about that a lot myself, uh, and I, we'll we'll get more into it when we hit the the prequels because there's a lot of criticism to go around. And then when I ask, what could they have done differently? Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot less <laughs> conversation. Like, well, yeah. and I kind of get it, how they, <laughs> you know. I, but I, I feel like statistically, people who use the phrase "bad writing" when describing like the prequels, there can't be that many writers on the internet. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of a cop-out answer for some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, bad writing and lazy writing are bad comments and lazy comments. Uh, but how do you, what do you think, uh, Sufjan? Well, so I think the most interesting thing I find about the original trilogy is the way that Palpatine is portrayed. 
Because he really is evil for evil. Because in a lot of media, you see as... Well, even in real life, you know, people are people who do evil things are evil because they are selfish or because they think they're doing good in general, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's... But he really is aware and just doesn't care. And it doesn't even <laughs> seem like he's doing it for personal gain. Because he's won, <laughs> right? He's already... like. <laughs> Palpatine has won at the start of the uh, original trilogy. He's just, you know, chilling now, effectively. And I I don't know. I think that either it's, like, incredible thought or it was, no thought went into it at all, and I can't tell which, right? Um, and it's sort of it's this really weird question, particularly for, like, moral agency and the question of uh, people being evil. Because, like, to be evil... You've got to know it's evil, and then you've got to do it anyway, right? And but and that's what Palpatine is. He is genuinely evil. Whereas like most evil characters just don't live up to that. They are trying to do something better or just not self-aware enough. And I think that's actually really interesting. Um, again, I'm not sure if it was deliberate or not, but I think it touches on something. And that's sort of the com- what's compelling about the dark side of the Force as a sort of narrative piece that it truly leads you to forsake any good in yourself in that way. Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the main thing that sticks out to me about the OT. Um, I never thought about it. Like, Palpatine's out here just taking victory laps. <laughs> and then we just throw a spoke uh, and throw something in a uh, wheel, you know, while he's doing one of these laps, and that's what gives birth to Star Wars. <laughs> he's he's the wealthiest, most powerful man in the galaxy. Anything he wants, he can have. Right? There is nothing in that universe that he could not have. Yeah, he's kind of like it's it's kind of like like you said, like he's almost like this like insert evil person into story, but it actually works so well within Star Wars. Like, yeah, he's just stereotypical evil. He has the evil voice, is the evil look. No one seems to notice, but yeah, it works so well in that story. So yeah, that's the genius of Palpatine is just get away with being evil. And yeah, it really gives like, it fleshes out the force in terms of good and evil uh, because it really shows what the dark side of the force is capable of. And, you know, honestly, it makes a compelling argument for the force because you see how all the heroes on the light side have to struggle with things. Palpatine don't struggle with nothing. Like, there's no internal turmoil there. He's really at peace with his evilness. Um, <laughs> but this actually reminds me of, like, a monologue I read in a webcomic where, like, the villain was saying, what's so bad about being evil? Yeah, a hero comes along and, like, takes us down, but you get a good 30 years of doing what you want to do. Like, <laughs> so, there's la- so there's a bad five minutes at the end. It ain't that bad. Worth um, it. Right? But the other thing that comes to mind is, like, and this, I'm sorry, I'll start cracking up a little bit. Um, but, so... Palpatine is fetishized evil, right? He is in in the in the like the 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 social theorist perspective of the word, right? So he is like the thing for itself, completely devoid from any sort of nuance or dimension. It's just the thing in and of itself, devoid of humanity. But then that got me to thinking: so does that does that mean on an alignment chart, like Palpatine is is kink evil, like <laughs> following that same line? Based on TikTok, I think Anakin is kink evil now. That's okay. <laughs> it it also like brings up the question of like who's who's following this guy like in the black robes? And, like, <laughs> Literal insert evil guy. <laughs> no, it's I don't know, that's no one's like you ever think that the emperor's evil? Like nah, just looks <laughs> weird, talks weird. You know he's fine. 
Well, that's the thing. Everyone around him is the sort of more complex evil, right? The Tarkin figures, they're all trying to... They're in it for selfish gain. Um, And he's just sort of riding the wave of manipulating all of them into, you know, uh, getting him to well continue to be Emperor. Uh, Whereas all the other minor villains seem to be uh, the far more complex style of villain. Yeah. Um, Although I don't know if Vader would fall into that category. There's that scene... No, no, go, go ahead. I, I, Y'all interrupt me. I'll stop. <laughs> I was gonna say, there's that scene in Force Awakens when like the stormtroopers see Kylo's throwing a fit and he and they walk away because like they they have a work relationship with this guy, so they kind of know, right? So then, like, what's it like for the stormtroopers that are around like that are around Palpatine? Are they just like, oh man, he's in a mood again? <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, his his robes didn't come out of the steam press clean. Like we gotta give him a wide berth. <laughs> I mean, Palpatine only has two emotions, right? Happiness and disappointment. And neither of those are good. No. <laughs> and they often look pretty similar. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, all right. So how about uh, we, we did touch on some of the the themes of of light and dark, but um, I mean, we can kind of get more into that as well as you know, Anakin or Vader's uh, redemption, you know, what was he redeemed? What does that mean? And any more thoughts on on Luke's journey? I mean, one of the things I appreciate about it personally is um, having Palpatine be that backstop for, for evil in the story perspective, but not necessarily having that um, for good, you know, like you would argue like when, Yoda could be considered that, but you know, Yoda was was shady, you know, and and then he's like, "Did y'all really send me to kill my own father and not tell me?" And then Yoda's like, ah, "I'm dying now." Like I got <laughs> for the sound of me dying. Sorry, <laughs> if if the force took him faster, I don't I don't know if Luke would have got an answer. Uh, but um, but I, I appreciate that because I actually do feel like. You know, in this world, evil does exist. There are some people that don't care how how much damage they do to others. But anyone who's on the opposite side, you have to try to do the right thing. Whatever the right thing means to you, but it's it's a constant effort. It's not anything that you can, that's automatic. And so I I think it's cool to have that, you know, the evil side represented, the dark side represented, but not have pure light because I don't I don't believe it it truly exists. But yeah, what what are your guys' thoughts? Oh I think yeah you're absolutely right. And I think it also brings into question that I mean the Death Star had, you know, the Death Star toilet cleaners were just guys trying to get by in life. Right? They were as much a victim of their circumstances as I mean Luke almost became one of them, right? Uh had you wanted to join the Empire. Yeah. Yeah he would have, you know, probably been Death Star technician at some point, or you know, a pilot, and it wouldn't have been any different. So I think it's it's sort of it's very interesting because the the Rebel Alliance killed a lot of people, and don't get me wrong, the Death Star had to go given it was destroying planets. But it's a complicated question taking out that many stormtroopers because most of them seem to be well, most of them were conscripted, if my you know memory serves, um, and they were victims of Palpatine as much as everyone else. I think that's what's so interesting about especially the original trilogy. And I think that's why we get um, so many people of, of so many different spectrums and ways of thinking into star Wars and they can project what they view as to be good or the good guys onto 
the good guys and the bad guys in Star Wars. Because, I mean, if you look at it, you know, even in today's like political climate, you could say the rebellion is a small group of terrorist cells going to take out an evil empire. You can look at that in multiple ways of how we have the just the news going on today. Like you can compare that to America going after some countries or some countries coming after America, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, Cause it is so, so easy to project on, on what you think. And again, I think that reflects on how we interpret things today. Um, and especially with Luke's journey, you know, Luke is such a, like everyone wants to be Luke. It's he's everyone's favorite character. Cause he's, you know, he's from a backwater planet. Just, we all have been there and you know, most of us have been in there in some way, you know, came from little to nothing and you rise to greatness. Yeah. I mean, with, with you saying that about, um, about the, the parallel to like the United States, you look at the empire, you're like, it's half, you know, Nazi Germany, half the United States. And that's like, how you look at it. <laughs> and you're like, man, it was messed up that they blew up the death star. How do you feel about Hiroshima? You know, like, how do you feel about Alderaan? You know, it, it all, it is so, I don't want to say that the, I don't believe that the original trilogy is morally ambiguous, but I think it leaves so much open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point. The, um, cause you think about, like you said, the, the soldiers, even the stormtroopers were largely conscripted, right? I mean, you had probably some volunteers, but a lot of folks, not to mention any sort of leftover clones that might've made it that far. Um, but it reminds me of actually, there's a, there's a quote from John uh, Tolkien who wrote, you know, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings that he's writing to his son. And he makes some offhand remark in one of his letters about how it was a trend he noticed of men dynamiting factories. And he thought it was a good thing because it, so, it saves the environment. And it makes me wonder, like, Tolkien, are you okay with cash? <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on a second. I think that I can need to recontextualize this person a little bit, right? Um but that idea of like, what is that threshold? When does it become too much? The Geneva Convention would not have allowed for the blowing up the, of the Death Star. Does right. that mean that like, it wasn't a worthy pursuit or it wasn't a worthy goal? Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, if you've ever seen the original Clerks, um, they talk yeah. about it and that yeah. of, you know, you're right. You are conscripted to do that. A lot of those peoples were probably contracted through the empire. Uh, a lot of those peoples were just from planets that were occupied by the empire. And it's just one of those things of kind of how the military industrial complex works today. It's like some people don't really have a choice, but to go into the military, whether they want to or not. Um, and I think the empire works very similarly, but at the same time, if we're looking at it in like the grand scheme of things, you know, you do have a choice whether or not you want to go and take that contract and, you know, and how it goes in clerics is like, you know, in your gut feeling that I'm going to go work on something called the death star. This might <laughs> end badly for me, potentially. Do I, do I continue to live this horrible life on this horrible planet or do I go work on the Death Star. This is a lose-lose situation for me. So it's it's hard to like cast judgment on them, but it's like, yeah, you do realize like, yeah, you're going into something that's bad. And also if you decide you want to work on the Death Star 2. Uh, <laughs> you know like it was never referred to officially as the Death Star, though, was it? Uh, canonically speaking, yes. It, not it wasn't not in the film itself, but mm -hmm. um of course we ended up getting certain things flushed out by other things later. And 
you know, my, that's one of my favorite Thrawn lines is because he figured out everything and he's like, so what's this Death Star thing? And it was like, <laughs> yeah. sounds kind of bad. I have uh, Malik in the chat says, after Lost Stars, I never looked at the destruction of the Death Star the same. And Galactic Mermaid is something similar. Lost Stars touched on that so nicely about how Eva was taught um, on the Empire and the backstage of all that without excusing their attitude. Um, if you guys haven't read Lost Stars, actually, I do recommend it. It's a great book. It's uh, don't very don't be fooled by the YA title. You know, it's 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 deep and very deep, very sad, very sad. But one of the lines you know mentioned in there is, um, is that you're not evil for joining the Empire, but if you stay, you you will be. They force you to compromise. Um, you know, and every time it gets easier and easier, and by the time you're finished, like you're you're lost. I butchered the quote, but that's mm-hmm. that's essentially <laughs> the the gist of it. Highly recommend it for anyone in the chat that hasn't read it. Basically, it takes place during the course of the original trilogy, but you are two characters who who joined the Empire as kids because they wanted to be pilots, and you get to take the journey of the original trilogy in the background of these major events that are happening and it's, it's a wild ride. Um, Yeah. I I think it's not too much of a spoiler, but at some point you basically the magnetic force field blast door in the hangar of the death star is essentially there's a scene where there's the, the Imperials are looking out as Alderaan is being destroyed, is being destroyed. And there's obviously people from Alderaan in the empire and they're watching their homeworld be destroyed. And it is a pretty, Pretty deep moment, pretty like emotionally draining thing to read. I was going to say that I don't consume Star Wars to cry, but then I remembered Rogue One. So, I mean, it, it's fair. That's a, yeah. um, there, was a, there was something I wanted to, to touch on, though, a little bit, and that is the idea of, uh, we that was mentioned a little bit earlier, of like you have absolute evil in the form of Palpatine, mm-hmm. but we don't really have a antithesis. We don't really have a binary opposition on the light side. I mean, like, you know, Chaco pointed out, we could say, well, maybe it was, you know, Yoda or any of the others, but they still struggled. They still had things that they did that were sketchy. But that actually, to me, means that what if we don't actually have any embodiments on either side? What if Palpatine was redeemable? What if there was a part of him that was still experiencing some degree of conflict the way that Vader did, albeit to a much lesser degree, Mm -hmm. but still, right? Like, does that does that make the character less interesting? I think in the prequels, um, I think Palpatine is expanded upon. I do think he is a good example of the embodiment of evil, but I do think, and it's it's not canon, but the novel Darth Plagueis, I think really, really dives deep into who uh, Palpatine is. And he's never a good person throughout any of his storyline. Um, but I think he goes from a bad person to an evil person. Uh, I think there is a progression there. Um, I think even I think even in um, the Phantom Menace, I think he is a bad and corrupt senator with obviously the background of being a Sith Lord, um, which is you know pretty terrible. Um, but I think it, he does progressively get worse and worse. And I think even in Revenge of the Sith, and we can talk more about it when we get jumped down to the prequels, but we see that facial transformation and then him, I think, uh, absolving himself completely in the darkness uh, in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, while taking on Anakin, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I suppose we'll probably get to it. Uh, I'd probably say that for the, for the 
prequel discussion, but I was just going to say, um, I find the, the odd thing about the original trilogy era is that it's oddly devoid of corporate interest. There, are, there doesn't seem to be, if you want to talk about sort of the parallels to the US in particular, there doesn't seem to be a corporate interest driving anything in the Star Wars, uh, in the Star Wars universe. I mean, in the sequels, they briefly touch that people are profiting from it, mm-hmm. but people just seem to do things. Uh, there's no sort of influence going on behind the scenes. I don't know if that's just because it's not portrayed or if it's absent. I, I think it's not portrayed in the films. I think the, at least in the prequels, the, the trade federation and the international banking clan are the corporate interests mm-hmm. um, that, that arise. It's more so in like the legends and canon novelizations um, right. that it comes up. But yeah, you are a hundred percent right until Canto bite. We really don't get that touched on. Yeah. That's, it. That's an interesting point because now that I think about it in the original trilogy, commerce is really the sort of realm of the scoundrels and the unethical, mm-hmm. right? Like, we don't see, I mean, obviously the empire is unethical, but we don't see them, that's beneath them, the idea of that you would trade goods for services. No, you just do what we say. And even the, even the, the resistance, um, the rebels, you kind of, have to, I do wonder where they were bankrolled, where'd that money come from? But I had the same questions about Professor Xavier from the X Men because I, love but that's- <laughs> like, uh, where do you get the diamond mind? Don't worry about it. I mean, anyway, <laughs> I'm doing good stuff other way. Inherited the Congolese diamond mind. We have we're not getting into that right now. <laughs> I mean, it'd be one thing if we just saw you know X Wing pilots like NASCAR drivers right with sponsorship logos all over them, right? Yeah, um, the Resistance just put up a GoFundMe after Hosni and Prime was destroyed and just bought a bunch of T seventy X Wings with it. <laughs> But there, there is something also to be said of, you know, who the camera is following, right? So mm-hmm. in the original trilogy and in the sequel trilogy, we're following people from nowhere who have nothing. So I would imagine that corporate interest in that thing would just, would just come up less in their daily lives. You know, like if we followed Leia, it might be different. Yeah. But, you know, while we're on the subject, let's go and jump into the, uh, the prequels and um, you know, kind of talk about, about those. We can we can hit the full gamut of what I've written here. So I mentioned like the morals, the themes, um, the modern parallels, political echoes, you know, Anakin's fall and the the fall of the Jedi um order. Uh yeah, what what jumps out at you uh on this one? Definitely I don't know if you guys have seen the deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith. Um, but there is there's just a whole bunch of Senate subcommittees, which is my favorite bit of Star Wars, which <laughs> I realize is a hugely unpopular statement to make. Um, but they really talk about how the Senate is trying to function with all these interest groups and banding together. And obviously, that's how uh, the Organas and the um, Amidalas sort of, you know, began to bond and by working together to try and push through bills and try and eventually end Palpatine's uh, state of emergency bill. Um, and uh, I just thought, yeah, that's all really interesting, but it all got deleted and brushed over, uh, in the final release, theatrical release. There's some, um, like behind the scenes stuff about George Lucas and about like, you know, what a madman he is where you ask him a question like, well, how would this work? And then he comes back with just pages and pages of documentation for like what, corporate entities would have had to have been present and do this and their backstories and all the stuff that would never make it into any movie or anything like that. But um, I, it's, it's, it's fascinating the the level of depth and I love that stuff too. <laughs> I, 
I would watch a Disney series that's like the C-SPAN of the Galactic <laughs> Republic. Senators on the floor, working through subcommittee, making motions, have like taking votes. Absolutely. What's that's C-span why we need a Star Wars West Wing. What's C-SPAN for non-American? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, C-SPAN is our, like, it's the channel that's always on that is on like the house and senate uh in mm-hmm. the united states so it captures all the boring votes all of the mundane banal right. stuff that we do in our in our politics the stuff that mm-hmm. we should be up to date on but are not because it's not sensational yeah okay yeah it's, it's very dry and mundane and i would say my conspiracy theory is that's on purpose mm-hmm. yeah uh, i mean originally all the news channels were required um but now they have turned into entertainment um, shows that are not required, and that's why things are pretty wild over here. But um, <laughs> no, same place as Bail Organa West Wing. Uh, I think I think that's what we need is like Bail Organa and like just what's going on in the Senate during that time period because you know there's 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 a lot of intrigue and crazy stuff going on. Yeah, and it, it'll be us and like twelve other people that'll watch it, and then it seems <laughs> like we're never doing this again. <laughs> I think one of my favorite bits is uh, in the first Thrawn book, there's this whole section following Governor, Pro- well, to be Governor Price and her rise to power following uh, going through Coruscant. And I was like, I- I- turn that into a whole series, please. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. <sighs> Except for the start where they're like, I'm going to spray you with drugs. And you're like, that's not how this works. Yeah. <laughs> you're busted now. Really? Okay. Sounds <laughs> a good trip. Uh, I do think, though, like as far as the morality of the prequels, I think one, an interesting thing to look at is just the Jedi Council on its own, because I think you have like this division in the Jedi Council where you have, uh, you know, you have Qui Gon and Obi Wan that exist, obviously, but then you have Mace Windu, Yoda, Kit Fisto, and Plo Koon, which are all like these like very positive like examples of what the Jedi at least should be to to what is represented in the galaxy. And then you have like Kiari Mundi and Ponkrell, which go the opposite direction of, yes, these are Jedi masters, Jedi generals. They're on the council, but they are definitely favoring the Republic. They have their own self-interest to go into, which inevitably leads to the downfall of both the Jedi and the Republic. And it's one of those things of, you would say like, do, do the positive people have a moral obligation to uphold the Jedi and, what it should stand for it should stand for i always say the when obi-wan says my allegiance is to the republic to democracy i'm like no your allegiance is to light and life and uh, that's p- part of why i think they fell is there was not enough moral obligation which i think people could take one way or the other and, yeah. and just just to kind of add to that to me becomes a question of because uh, i do see a lot of a lot of blame for the Jedi, and I, I think they do have. There's a lot of blame to go around, but um, do the specific actions of a single Jedi uh, condemn the entire order, or um, is? I, I don't know. I think there's there's a there's a lot of fresh stuff there. And real quick, uh, Gazelle in the chat says, "How dare you?" <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think a lot of what happened between episodes two and three 
the Jedi didn't have that much control over who became a master because a lot of masters died in the Battle of Geonosis and in the next mm -hmm. few years after that. I mean, Coleman Trevor in particular, but... Um, the, str the, the strongest Jedi. The strongest Jedi. <laughs> the, but the friction of losing lots of leadership relatively quickly meant that you were promoting people basically, you know, extremely quickly, uh, putting a lot of Jedi up on the council, which I can't be good for... Right. Yeah, you know, you, you, you got to put who you can. You put the most senior Jedi, <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily... And particularly with the pressures of battle, you want people who can lead, not mm -hmm. necessarily those who are going to be most attuned to the Force. Uh, the pressures, you know, aren't necessarily their fault for the Jedi Council being what it was in the uh, Revenge of the Sith. That, that sort of reminds me of uh, some critiques I've heard of, like, Winston Churchill, that has a... <clears throat> Right, as a as a leader, not that great on the whole, but he was meant for fighting Nazis, so that yeah. was his one moment to shine. So, like if you take that approach to the Jedi, okay, so you have Jedi who are maybe not the most attuned to the light side, but they're the ones we want in battle. So then, who's that mean that we're elevating here, right? And in terms of the Padawans who then look up to them and the sort of trickle down effect of like, what does their influence become when they are elevated to a particular status in this? you know, horror, this horrific thing that's happening. Um, but the other thing that comes to mind is that, so I heard someone describe Socrates once as a great man, but a bad father. And I feel like that's, because that's the thing. Socrates was a dad when he was doing all this stuff, get publicly drunk and yelling at people. Um, that is my professional opinion as a doctor. Um, and <laughs> like, but that's not dissimilar from the Jedi. Like they're great heroic figures. They are dedicated to their, to their craft and their philosophy, but when it came to a sort of nurturing instinct, I I think that a lot of them were removed from that. And that's not necessarily a huge criticism. It's just a, a mortal foible, right? I mean, Yoda wouldn't necessarily have been a good father, you know, and, but the idea that they are raising these kids from youth uh, into becoming fully fledged adults. Um, it's like Qui-Gon, you know, Qui-Gon seemed like he was really open to a lot of things. Probably wasn't great about, like, getting the kid to bed on time and make sure that it did homework. Well, it's, it's pretty crazy, right? You know, for for most kids, right, the big pressure coming from school and all that, your academic performance, and your emotional needs are taken care of your, by your parents. But your, emo you know, your lack of emotional needs is what was rewarded by the Jedi, right? Being detached <laughs> from your emotions was a way to progress through the Jedi Order which creates this sort of crazy perverse set of incentives where you don't want to express, you don't want to reach out, you want to make sure that you're appearing to be the perfect Jedi. Um, sorry, yeah. Well, just, uh, but an, another question though that that uh, kind of proposes to me is, you know, a lot of the Jedi's beliefs are based off of like Eastern religions uh, or concepts of, you know, Buddhism, Taoism, um, the Samurai's code uh, as as well, and is it you know not uh, trying to be tied down to you know physical ob objects or you know wanting things, trying to f free yourselves from those needs? Is that inherently bad or wrong, or is that a Western lens to look at Eastern philosophy? Um, I don't know. I'm just just. I don't. I don't think it's bad or wrong. I think the route to which you get there is the concern, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was kind of the thing with, with Anakin. He had a lot to deal with. And ultimately arriving at a place of calm and peace and tranquility, what could have been very emotionally healthy for him, 
but he wasn't doing that. He wasn't, at least not on screen, he wasn't dealing with those feelings. And then we saw that, you know, clearly the kid had some PTSD. Uh, we saw the way he snapped with like the Tuscan Raiders mm -hmm. and things like that in a way that was also traumatizing for him. Right. Not only did he just murder a whole, you know, uh, slew of people, but he also then dealt with the grief afterwards. And we are not led to believe that he had the sort of emotional equipment to deal with it. So I don't think it's a bad thing that like this is the ultimate goal. I think that I wonder if maybe the Jedi rewarded shortcuts because ultimately that sort of serenity and peace allowed you to be more in tune with the force. <laughs> so it was a short term payoff with long term repercussions, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I think with um with the the fact we have in, in this era we have the Republic and then we have the separatists. And again, I think we have that projection of who's the good guy and the bad guy. Obviously in the movie the Republic is portrayed as the as the good guys, but when we dig as far as I've dug into the Clone Wars and some of the the more expanded universe of it, you know, you realize that a lot of the reasons people joined the separatists was because they were using droids and not people. They weren't genetically mutating you know, DNA to fight. Um, and that seemed morally um, more justified to them. And so I think that's interesting that we have kind of like that parallel and kind of like what we said about, you know, how, how do we get there? And I think we have characters like Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan and Yoda, they are our spiritual guides throughout that, that trilogy. And I think if we follow them, we get there in a positive way and in a way of good morals, but we see Anakin does not follow Obi-Wan in the end, and it leads him down that path uh, where he ends up being Darth Vader. Just, just on the point you're saying about seeing it through a Western lens, uh, notably the Buddha didn't start to look for enlightenment until he was already grown up. He was in his 20s, I believe, and I think the age he was quoted to have found enlightenment was 35. Um, the idea of children being raised <laughs> like that is a Star Wars thing, right? It's a, uh, and even Yoda, he he didn't start. He was what a uh, hundred and something before he became a Jedi. Um, he was already matured as a as far as a species goes. Um, so you know, I think that's a that's very much a Jedi thing to do that to children mm -hmm. as opposed to yep. raising uh, adults to you know because yeah, I think it's entirely possible they could have just said okay, ad, you know, adults can join the Jedi Order if you're Force sensitive and go from there. Although. I do think partly the reason they went looking for children was a preventative measure to stop Sith from appearing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Buddha was 35. I've got two years. Got two years to read <laughs> yeah. Me, you and me both. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to hit it. <laughs> I didn't, I don't know if it's more reasonable to expect to pay off my student loans before then, or to reach, uh, you know, some sort of cosmic enlightenment. But, but, I mean, they the same thing, aren't they? <laughs> my excuse will be like, I don't have to pay off my student loans. I'm fully enlightened now. <laughs> Just no, convince the IRS to lose their attachment to your loan right now. <laughs> my spirituality has ascended, guys. Can These you really not, expect me to pay this? <laughs> These are not the loans you are looking for. <laughs> and that's and that's the slippery slope to the dark side. <laughs> No, but 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 Sufyan, I think you make an interesting point, especially about the um, the idea of like it being a preventative measure, right? Because they are trying to make sure that like some kid doesn't grow up, you know, uh, more traumatized than they would have ordinarily, and you know, feed to the dark side. Because I mean, that's a totally normal thing to expect, right? Yeah. Um, but again, like you say, taking that very adult, matured perspective onto an age when 
you're still a developing upper primate for intents and purposes is not exactly a recipe for success. <laughs> yeah, I, there's, I mean, there's definitely a middle ground where, you know, you offer support and help for force-sensitive force identified kids, right? Um, you know, you make sure they're still being looked after and keep keep tabs on them. You don't need to necessarily bring them in, remove them from their families, indoctrinate them, etc. Because uh, then again, having a kid who discovers he can mind trick his friends in school is like dangerous. Oh yes. yeah. <laughs> what what middle schooler, given the opportunity to use any inkling of force abilities, would not become a tyrant? You know, yeah. like no, one in a hundred, maybe. I got an A on that test. Yeah. I showed up for school yesterday. I mean, we've all gone up to like those automatic doors and waved our hands to try and open them, right? Now. I still do it. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, what, what do you guys think about? You know, we we had the uh, the separatists that, that separated. Separatized, separated. I feel weird saying both of those in one sentence. Anyways, um, so you you had them, you know, leave the republic. Uh, most of those that you'll see in this that whole separatist alliance were non-human species. Uh, for one thing, they all tended to be outer rim worlds. Um, but really, they kind of just wanted to take their own destiny into their own hands. However, that whole movement was also being co-opted and exploited by all these huge, you know, corporate entities, as well as we can't really say one side was good or bad because they're both being controlled by the Sith um, at the end of the day. But I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on, on kind of that, that separation. I think, I think oh, sorry, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, was gonna say, I think the CIS probably have a legitimate cause. Uh, whether or not it was conducted in legitimate manners, because, I mean, Dooku was a war criminal, right? Um, and whether or not they chose the best means is arguable, but I think that there's a good argument for secession, particularly in a galactic context. Uh, you know, we see secessionist movements in our world all the time, and, I mean, they're always pretty painful, but um, in the case of isolated whole planets there's definitely a case to be made that secession should be both legal and there should be a mechanism for it uh i don't know if the i don't know if the republic i haven't read the republic constitution if, if it comes out i'm definitely going to read it but i don't know if there's a provision for secession in there um yeah no i agree i do believe uh when we look at the the systems individually like the systems that seceded from the republic became part of the, uh, the separatist uh movement I don't believe they are to blame at all. I think they, they're fully justified in what they're doing because they probably had some pains with the Republic that it wasn't working for them and it was a detriment to them to be in the Republic. However, on the Republic, we do have the Jedi, which for all intents and purposes, we would say are the, the moral high ground here. And then on the Separatist side, they are being led essentially by Dooku, again, a war criminal and a Sith. But what's so interesting is that all among all of this, you have Palpatine at the very top, which he is essentially in this world's real manifestation of an like Illuminati type figure of he is controlling all of it. Uh, and it, I think we do see the the real world repercussions as that manifests itself, which I think is an interesting thing that they did in the prequels. So this kind of reminds me of something that is uh, an interesting piece of history. And that is that um, in the, so if we read the, the separatist movement uh, and that it's mostly non-human species that are siding with them, um, and if we look at that through the lens of like, or through an uh, analog for like race or things like that with our own world, it reminds me of um, 
the Black Panther movement and a lot of the um, civil rights movements during the 1960s and 70s in the United States, which were the subject of uh, COINTELPRO. Um, and if, for anyone who's not familiar, COINTELPRO was the counterintelligence program by the FBI, where they systematically infiltrated just about every uh, civil rights organization, especially the Black Panthers. And at one point, I think the Black Panthers had more, most of their chapters had more federal agents that were undercover than non-federal agents. Uh, and it was all orchestrated to, you know, put an end to the, the civil rights movement as it was you know, being made manifest, in particular because they were concerned about some, what they referred to as the Black Messiah, someone who could unify, you know, uh, a lot of the different organizations. Um, and in that way, it becomes really difficult to blame people who get caught up in those schemes because yeah. they're just, you know, good faith joining an organization because you want to, you know, advocate for your own rights or or whatever means are not being met, but um, it is it is insidious, and unfortunately, that's you know what we see in Star Wars is obviously a much more hyperbolic illustration of that. But at the same time, you know, it's rooted in some degree of reality. Yeah, are you saying that as why I want to see Blue Marvel make it on? <laughs> but um, no, that's man, that's that's a fascinating uh, look at it as well. I'm also curious about we have people who are universally hated, like, you know, Pong Krell, which if you haven't you know, watched Clone Wars, then you may not be familiar with. Not a good dude. Um, Chase, Chase, you've passed that point, yes? I've just, I, I just, I've gotten through the Umbara arc okay. in the Clone Wars. So I, I know all about Mr. Krell. <laughs> all I know about Pong Krell is what Darth Chaco and uh, Professor Kev on TikTok have said. <laughs> He's he's a little bit well, of a stinker, <laughs> more than a bit. <laughs> but uh, he's looked at with you know more disrespect than someone like Count Dooku, who is far worse in every way. Actually, Pancro did what he did because he wanted to join Dooku and wanted to impress him. And I'm, I'm, why is that? Why is uh you know what's what's the the difference here? Why is you know why is why is Anakin seen as redeemable when they do worse stuff than, you know, I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on that. Was Anakin redeemable? Yes. Spiritually redeemable to Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, Yoda, and Luke. To everyone else, no. I mean, there's a difference between are they redeemable and did they deserve redemption? Those are two different questions. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of love yeah. how it's it's put in the book Bloodlines, where Leia is like, you know, Luke says that he returned as Anakin. I just remember the guy torturing me. You know, like that's not my that's not my dad. Like you're not my real dad. Um, it was not redeemed for her and for a lot of people. But like Luke, who's the only person that saw it, he's like, oh yeah, no, he was good at the end. You know, and like yeah. Just, just trust me, dude. Trust me, bro. <laughs> Do you think Luke would have felt that way if he'd known that Anakin had slaughtered a room full of children? Yeah. So I've got to, probably got I, swept under the rug. I, I don't think Luke would have. I do think Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan would have. I think because they knew Luke, I mean, when they knew Anakin um, as a pod racer, um, as a Padawan, and as a Jedi Knight trying to become a Jedi Master, I think, and especially when you when they knew there was something wrong when, you know, because they faced off against Darth Maul and they 
they learn, you know, they all learned of Palpatine in the end. And Pal Anakin's fall is Palpatine's grand design. You know, there's still a choice. Anakin always had a choice and he chose the wrong path. So it, ultimately it's his fault. Um, but yeah, I do believe that Luke, I don't think if he knew it, all of the things that uh, Anakin did, you know, from Revenge of this, from honestly Attack of the Clones up until Return of the Jedi, um, I don't think he would have, but he didn't. Um, but I, I do believe that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and even I think in some ways Yoda, um, w did forgive him. And, and, you know, after everything, which I think speaks volumes about their characters. Just just briefly externally to the, like the Star Wars universe and talking about how we receive it. Anakin and the younglings, that's horrific, right? Mm -hmm. But somehow it's become a joke it's, it's a universally mean, amongst... Yeah. yeah and, I hate it. I like, hate it. I, I feel... <laughs> I don't know. I, I I still find them funny, but I find them it, it deeply uncomfortable that we find this funny. I think for me, it was the way it was done on screen had a had just a weird amount of camp to it, and also if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. Like it's yeah. horrifying to think about, right? Master Skywalker, what do right. we? But no, the sequels are the worst films of all time. <laughs> I, I I still feel a little a little guilty about. Uh, I, I didn't edit with the song that the bodies hit the floor. Um, <laughs> um, does Choco oh, deserve a redemption arc? Is now <laughs> I, I don't. I don't mean to make this comparison, but I think in what you say with the amount of camp that comes with Star Wars, but especially the prequels, is you can make that edit with Revenge of the Sith. You can't make that kind of edit with something like Schindler's List. Like, like there is. <laughs> Oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. you're right. But you know what's interesting? You about just that, even though? bring it up. <laughs> I can't even say it. Uh, um, then it becomes Schindler's pissed. Um, so <laughs> it's okay, guys. I study American Nazis. Anything inside of me is dead now. So the but no, but this is interesting in this this trope, like like Tuscan brought up, that you know has become a bit of a, of a unfortunate running joke. But also, he slaughtered Tuscan Raider children too, yeah. and we don't care. Like, like the the tragedy there is not that he murdered them; it's that he feels bad about it. The way it's represented on screen, right? So, I, oh, I was I, just going to say that it yeah. kind of makes this point about who it is we are and are not encouraged to relate to. I'm sorry, Chase. Yeah, I think this is this is kind of touches on like the modern parallels is because we look at the Tuscan Raiders and the Sand People as essentially the others. Um, a lot of people, the way that the way that Star Wars, the films and most of the media around Star Wars has portrayed the Tuscans, uh, they are literally the others. They are not the same as us. They are not of the same standard and of the same class. So when Anakin slaughters them, I think the way that Star Wars has portrayed those people, we are not allowed to care um, mm -hmm. about them. Do you think it would have been different if they had faces? 100%. Uh, yeah. 100%. I think a minute. I think it would have been different if they spoke English. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. even subtitled their words. Something. Yeah. I think if he would have went to the camp and he would have come out of that tent uh, with uh, after watching Shmi die, which also we do have a light side, a pure light side person. It is Shmi Skywalker. That's uh, a fair point. Um, yeah. But uh, if you would have seen at least one 
of the sand people without a mask. I think a, that scene would have hit so much harder if it was just a person, just like, even just like a human female under the mask. I think you would have realized, I think, I think that would have changed the whole feel of a new hope as well after that. Um, but we didn't, we just see them as they're masked beasts in, in those films. Star Wars has this really interesting thing, which is almost like the opposite of the Game of Thrones, right? Game of Thrones takes a little bit of violence and makes it super horrific. And Star Wars takes a lot of violence and somehow manages to, to make it for kids, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it hides it. I don't want to say well, because I don't feel like the well is the right word here, but it, it somehow manages to hide all of the, the horrible things that go on in the world while still having them in your face. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I, I and I think that's important uh, to some extent for a younger viewing audience yeah. to see stuff like that, and then when they see bad things happen in the world, can at least parse out like, oh, this is similar to this thing over there. But you're, you're. I mean, if you if if just one of those same people, you know. Um, helmet was off or mask was off and that person was a human you know was like a human brunette woman that would essentially look like his mom that would it would be very very different and it would have just taken the story in a different direction altogether you know um all right. Is there any any last thoughts on the prequel trilogy i wanted to wrap it up and then hit the the sequels before we Get out of here. My only thought is that uh, I think that this all makes a really good point that abs- that redemption arcs are not absolute points. They are subjective to what the audience brings to the table and what the characters feel. So when we talk about like who well, who deserves redemption, it's not a fixed absolute kind of thing, at least from a narrative perspective. I think. Yeah. Uh, and just just on the topic of sand people, right? I think it's very hard to think about sand people being murdered and not think about the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the obvious way that they're... I mean, I don't know if, if you've ever had the opportunity to watch um, media from other countries, but mm-hmm. it is not PG, right? Mm-hmm. They will show you what's going on, and it's kind of like the sanitized version of Western media is what we get in Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that does trickle over to the States, you know, depending on which outlets you're looking at, and it is... It is it's horrible. Um, I am getting a Discord call. Dismiss that, sorry. Um, <laughs> And this is something that, like, it is something I genuinely don't know, and I think Chaka, you might have an answer for it, is I've always felt that there's Sand People and Tusken Raider, and I've always felt like one is a more appropriate word to use, and one is, I think, meant to be almost treated as a slur. And I've never been able to figure out which one it is. Because we've never seen anything from their perspective, and so we're not meant to... To, to care I, I i don't know i don't i don't have the answer there yeah. but I, I will say it was refreshing in the mandalorian when you had din Djarin, like chilling with him you know mm-hmm. and you're like mm-hmm. oh yeah there's they, a part in the first kotor when you do have the option to have a dialogue with them if you have yeah. hk47 in your party mm-hmm. and you do realize that it, and there are women and i think purposely because i think attack of the clones had just come out there are women in that in that settlement um and you do have the option to not Anakin Skywalker them, um, which I think was an interesting take that that, that story arc took. Yeah. yeah, we choose who we humanize and probably mm-hmm. shouldn't. Yeah. Um, 
All right, moving into the uh, the sequel trilogy, you know, and from a political aspect, I think like only Canto Bite was. <laughs> I don't think there was there was much by that, even even though there were so many agendas in it. Um, but I'm curious of your guys' thoughts on uh, on the sequel trilogy with its morals, overall themes, parallels, um, and and Ray's journey, Ray and Kylo Ren's journey. They keep making Latinos into ex-criminals, and it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do. Even in Rogue One, yeah. You, Cassian, Poe. I love. I, we were so close, and they're like, "Yeah, he's yeah, a drug he, dealer." And you're like, "You know, what? I, look, I, I, I consider, I consider Chewbacca an honorary Latino, but and and he might have the cleanest record out of anybody in that. But yeah." Um, I was going to say that I heard a take that is not original to me, but I can't get it out of my head. And that is that the First Order is to the Empire what American Nazis are to the Third Reich. Yeah, absolutely. And so through that lens, the idea that like Starkiller Base was was derivative, it's like, oh, okay, no, that makes sense to me now. So, yeah. I, I, they, they literally just real quick. I, I highly recommend reading the book Leia Bloodlines. Very entertaining book. It's mm-hmm. it's it's Leia. It's political intrigue. It's explains a lot. But there's there's a group of people that were saying, you know, I get that the Empire did some bad things, but it's only because they had a bad guy running it. We can bring back a lot of this stuff. And you know, just just not have a, a guy like that running it, and everything will be great, right, guys? That's literally the, the thing behind it. And you're like, oh my god, what is this? Like, I there's there's some, and I reread it, uh, you know, last year is like during the election here, and I I got I, I frightened myself. <laughs> yeah, Tucker, you're right. The the discourse between the the centrists and the populists in that book is like it's creepy. How how it kind of echoes today, um, but I do think what's interesting about the First Order is how it is the mirror image of the original trilogy, where the New Republic is in control, and the First Order is essentially a cell of the um, the fragmented Empire that is trying to come to power. Um, so I think that's a cool way they did it, and I think they could have gone deeper into it for sure, but you know, yeah. I thought it was a cool little echo that they did. Yeah, they also. I also think it was really interesting the way they highlighted, and we mentioned this at the start, that how hard it is to build a new nation, right, mm-hmm. out of the ashes of a rebellion. It's hard, and you know, it, that's where the highest turnover tends to be, right? Uh, new countries that have just formed are more likely to collapse again than ones that have been going for a while, and mm-hmm. that, that you know, effectively, what happened to the uh, new republic. It was sufficiently unstable that it was able, unstable. That it was able to create a splinter faction. That, I mean, obviously, Starkiller basing is a bit extreme, but um, yeah. yeah, you need some spectacle. That's exactly what what you guys said earlier about the Jedi. About you know, during a wartime, there's maybe certain people that you want in the general seat, but do you want them leading the Jedi Order? And it's just the exact inverse of like, yeah, you were the leaders during a rebellion, does that mean that you're, should be ruling a nation? Yeah. Well, we had the exact opposite the first time around, right? The senators who were defecting at the end of revenge of the Sith are the ones who became leaders of the rebellion. Yeah. Um, Although they weren't really a military force to begin with. It was just 
organize. It was more organization and bureaucracy at that stage. Yeah. John's point. It is hard to build a thing, unless of course that happens to be a fleet of star destroyers. That uh, how did Palpatine? Did they? Did he have? Like what? How did he Can pay for it? That's what I want to know. Like, how did he finance it? Where did he get the workers? What were the like? What? <laughs> Where did the Sith Eternal come from? Because that was like that's a lot of people. You were they the ones building the Star Wars? big galaxy? Yes. Yeah, those they were the the ones. Just just a, a real quick um, uh, from the canon perspective, and it's funny because it actually harkens back to some of the things that Lucas said back in the day of Return of the Jedi. This was Palpatine's endgame, and if he succeeded there, it's curtains for the galaxy, you know? And he's in the process of building the Sith Eternal Fleet. So he he kind of created the Empire from the shell of the Republic, right? But most of the people in there is just because this is the biggest place. They weren't serving Palpatine. They weren't serving the Sith. They weren't serving the dark side. And that was ultimately his goal is to create something that rules the galaxy in his own image. And so that was the end game. And we were actually almost there um, back in Return of the Jedi. And it kind of brings more power to what happened in Return of the Jedi when it happened. Because if they didn't, then they were right to they, they the red paint was all ready to go. They were going to redo all the, <laughs> Just put the decals on the side. Yeah. Um, I mean, I th- I do think the the thing that gives me the most like chills of like oh man, because like, I do feel what what the sequels did so well is they made, I think they made the first order feel more systematically evil than the Empire. I think with Hux's speech in. The Force Awakens and how I mean honestly just the acting alone from Donald Gleason doing that of just like I know exactly who you're channeling there buddy uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he did it so precisely that I, to me I think what one of the biggest successes was the First Order felt truly evil and anyone within the First Order uh, at like a higher level was I think more insidious than those in the Empire um, especially knowing like you built that you, they built two death stars and you're working on a third one, essentially. Um, yeah. It was like distilled a, empire. No, yeah, I, go I ahead, Gabriel. A, I was gonna say, that's a really good point because, um, you know, to chase like what you said, they're building a third death star. They saw what the other ones could do, right? Mm-hmm. They still want that kind of power, which yeah. sort of echoes what, what Chaco, what you were saying earlier about like, no, no, what if we do it again, but right this time, right? Like, no, 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 you took away the wrong lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing that I thought about, you know, especially with Hux and even the, the, the dynamic between Hux and uh, Kylo and Phasma and, and whatnot, it was very believable to me how those people interacted with each other and that you had factions within the faction. Yeah. And that, that made it seem much more grounded and therefore a bit more like plausible, I guess, because that was part of the thing about the old empire was that like, everyone's on the same page at all times, pretty much. Um, now I, I realized that a lot of those were British actors. I don't know if that's the thing that the British do. That they're just all on the same page. All time. <laughs> but certainly in the United States, that is not how we roll. <laughs> Even in public. Yeah. I think, I think the reason is that the top spot was available, right? Mm-hmm. whereas under Palpatine, the top spot was never available. So you just yeah. do the best you can, right? 
you're you're never going to be leading with your vision. Uh, whereas under the first order, if you can you can make it, you know, because Snoke didn't really care that much. And once Snoke was dead, if you could if you could put yourself in that top spot, you get to rule the galaxy. Mm. Um, Snoke was just chilling in his pajamas all the time, just like like hanging out. Do you uh, think he always wears the gold, or is that just for special <laughs> occasions? Always. The gold robe stays on. <laughs> Again, no. given that he was a kind of like clone or strandcaster or whatever, does that mean that that's also a reflection of Palpatine's style? Like, if you weren't wearing the all dark, would Palpatine be in the gold robe? You know what? Because uh, the thing that, that to this day bothers me about the Rise of Skywalker, well, there are a few things. It, it is my least favorite Star Wars project, but um, when Palpatine like siphons off the power, and all of a sudden he has these the red robes that was like you know they, they look amazing and super comfortable. I just don't know where they came from. Were, were they prepared? Did they fall from the ceiling and he just kind of slip into them like off off screen? Was it was it the last high ground podcast? <laughs> you were saying, like half of your Sith training is preparing for dramatic entrances. Yes, hundred uh, percent. Um, a little yep. bit of context, I think, just just to touch on like the the final order, like the Star Destroyers in the Fantastic Trilogy, Alphabet Squadron. Uh, we do find that Palpatine was systematically finding essentially the most despicable people within the Empire at the very end, and I believe that that will bring context to how that Sith, that final Sith order came to be is that was all being put into place uh, before the battle of Endor um, because of just the way that he was preparing for operation cinder and the way he was literally looking through the ranks and finding, you know, psychological profiles and stuff like that uh, to make sure that if anything happens to him, that evil will continue. Oh man, such a good book. Um, but uh, yeah, that you guys um, and I, and I, I apologize because I, I don't want to you know I know you had stuff to do um, Gabriel I don't I don't want to run, oh, no, run on the kids too finally long. sleep that's why I'm in my where I'm in the spare bedroom instead of my office where I normally do these things because the kids sleep and so but I'm good uh, I was gonna say though I I almost feel bad for uh, for General Hux because like imagine you were raised in this in this thing you know his father Brendel Hux who he meet and rebels was one of the founding members of the first order um training up all of them and he grows up and he's he's in this his entire life and then in comes kylo ren who's just like you know he's essentially a, a prince a prince of of alderaan and like of the jet he has he has everything handed to him already basically you know with with just who he is and his lineage and his uncle and his grandfather and all this stuff. And then he just, and then he just shows up at your job and he's not even part of this organization. He has no title. Like, what do you do? And all of a sudden he's promoted. He's at the same level as you. And don't, he's just like, God damn, I hate this freaking job. (laughs) He's the CEO's nephew who becomes your boss within three weeks of joining. (laughs) I mean, this begs the question, is SNL's undercover boss with Kylo Ren canon? (laughs) It's got to be, right? (laughs) That that kind of reminds me of, I guess that would make like Hux um, the equivalent of that. This is like Milton in the movie Office Space. 
if you've ever yeah. seen it. the guy who inevitably like burns down the building because no matter what he does, it just doesn't seem to work out for. I mean, he damages a lot of consoles, and it's make you got to wonder how much redundancy they're building in just for like Sith outrage, right? <laughs> just imagine like being on a phone call with a like a, a star a star destroyer terminal, and like, yeah, these uh, new panels are lightsaber proof. <laughs> Where did the budget go? Best panels ever. Tosa's panels everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Although I think I did really like Kylo Ren as a character from like a perspective of he was actually conflicted, which felt new and different. I think his, I think his conflict felt more real than Luke's because he, he had it all. And then he betrayed it to have, I I don't really know what, I, I suppose I don't really fully understand his defection to the dark side. I don't think he did either. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a classic uh, kid rebel behavior rebelling against everything that these pillars of the community that your parents are and that your uncle is and mm. you're named after Obi-Wan Kenobi um, you know and like I don't want to live up to all this stuff that's not me you yeah. know I think also kind of and maybe this will pivot it kind of towards Ray is the fact that they are the dyad um, and you do have I think Star Wars has established that the lore of the dark side is uh, immeasurable, you know, in the same way with Anakin, like the, the chosen one, the, the, the kid who was allowed into the Jedi order at an older age, everything was given to him. He had the best masters he could possibly ask for and still turned to the dark side. And I think the same way with Kylo Ren, everything, your uncle is Luke Skywalker. Like your mother is Leia Organa. Like you could not ask for the perf- more perfect, com- you know, combo for success. And he still that lore of the dark side uh, still got a hold of him. And then on the opposite end, we have Ray, who is a Palpatine by blood and has this like Sith DNA within her. And she is the complete opposite. She is the other part of the dyad. And despite all of that, despite how much lore of the dark side she could have on her, she will still prevail with the light. And I also... Oh, go ahead. Oh, excuse me. I was going to say that that actually kind of reminds me of this idea of just how much power and privilege that, that Kylo was born into. Um, I have had students... Well, so I used to teach at a private university, uh, and I, yeah, I had great students there, and some of them were kids from the, like, you know, upper-middle-class families who had so much given to them, but they, they would crack inside. And they couldn't deal with adversity, not because they were you know, weak or anything like that, but just because like they hadn't had to deal with it. And so when they did encounter difficulty, it made them spiral. Um, and so that sort of it, the difficulties already associated with being a young person, not to mention all the pressure that comes from external forces. I could see how that would create a, I would say, an unprincipled uh, uh, spiral into the dark side, <laughs> as opposed to someone who joins for a particular goal or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, it's, it's I, fundamentally a story about pride. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, you know uh, Kylo being too proud to follow in the footsteps of his family, and then too proud to return to it after he'd fallen to the dark side. Because at the end mm-hmm. of the Last Jedi, he very much could have come back to the light, but I think he was too proud to do that. Um, and Ray finding pride in being who she is, despite finding out she's a Palpatine. Yeah, uh, and I, I also think that um, 
a lot, I think everything with the dark side, to be honest, could also be viewed through the lens of drug addiction. Yeah. Um, and going back to, you know, Anakin was, was just like an, an 80s Wall Street guy on, on cocaine. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he kind of lost control and lost sight of what he was doing. Um, you know, you have someone like Kylo Ren who was given all of the stuff and he just, he fell into it because that was part of his, you know, rebellion became, becomes an addiction. But you can also have someone like Ray who would be the equivalent of being born in a, in a crack house, you know, and, and, you know, and rebelling against that, despite everyone around her thinking that could be her nature, or but despite seeing qualities in herself that would mimic those, um, that that she could fall down that that rabbit hole, I think it could be seen that way as well. Yeah, I mean, of the Skywalker saga, Ray is by far my favorite character because I think she really does show us that, like you do have to accept that you can't control your past or your, or what your bloodline is. Uh, and she shows us that like, you know, family is more than blood. It's fine. It's the people who you, you find comfort and harmony with. Um, and, and the, I think she's what's so beautiful about her story is she starts out not knowing anything about herself and like obsessing over the fact that she has to find uh, her, her biological parents, basically, you know, they're going to come back for her. And when we get to the rise of Skywalker, she is fully aware of who she is and fully control of herself. She knows her true self. She knows the truth winner within herself, which I think is, is an interesting end comparatively to Luke's where at the end of rise of Skywalker, it's a, I mean, at the end of return of the Jedi, it's like a beautiful thing where he's looking at his father burning on Endor and he was still up until that very last moment fighting the dark side. Like he wanted to kill Palpatine. You know, he wanted to get vengeance on Darth Vader. You know, he didn't really know himself and he wasn't quite the Jedi that he was supposed to be yet. And just, just the look that even Mark Hamill just portrays, you know, at the very end is he still has a journey ahead of him and it's going to be rough, which is, I think in the EU, we get so many stories about Luke turning to the dark side because up until that very last moment, he's still being tempted by the dark side. Whereas Ray has like found that solace and that completion within herself. Yeah. And in the, in the EU, Luke always has that fear mm-hmm. going all the way through fate of the Jedi that he could fall again. Yeah. It makes me very excited for any potential stories that will involve Ray after rise of Skywalker and having what I think will be this, pillar of light where palpatine was the pillar of dark ray will become the pillar of light i mean her name's literally ray ray is sunshine <laughs> actually huh? chase, what you're, chase what you're saying reminds me of something interesting and that is that i had not considered that one of the hallmarks of both ray and uh and luke and this mirrors something that, that obviously anakin feels with is the ability to encounter the dark side and grapple with it successfully um, whereas we see that a lot of the other Jedi, you know, try to shun it as much as possible. They try to remove themselves, that kind of thing. But when uh, when Luke is swinging that lightsaber like it's a baseball bat, and he is just hammering into um, he's hammering into Vader, or when Rey summons the Force lightning, right, which was you know a skill that she didn't have prior to that moment. Um, the like both of them, obviously, we see it more with Rey, but they sort of grapple with that. Mm-hmm. And they're able to rebound from it. And that is a much more, I would suggest, sort of an emotionally healthy thing. 
right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to yeah. just secluding and walling off that aspect of yourself, yeah. which I think Anakin attempts to do, then does poorly, and then the sort of the flood breaks through. Yeah. I think what what I think is interesting about Luke, contrasted with Ray, is we see Luke in every movie. Um, you know, he's hesitant in A New Hope, he's hesitant to join the rebellion and to do the right thing. He doesn't, it, he just wants to stay on Tatooine, kind of similarly to Ray, uh, which that wouldn't be necessarily a dark side thing. It's just not doing the right thing. And in Empire Strikes Back, he is giving into the emotion of he has to help his friends and not finish his training. And even when he's confronting Vader for the first time uh, on in Empire Strikes Back, when, when he finds out that Vader is his father, he has hatred in his voice. He hates the fact that he's related to Darth Vader and return of the Jedi opens with him force choking people. And he's an all black, like the symbolism there is maybe he's not quite the Jedi that we thought he was. He's a badass, which is cool to watch. But, um, and I do think what you said, you know, he's swinging that lightsaber like a baseball bat. He's up. He is angry. He is out for blood. Um, and when we see Ray, on the other hand, when she believes that Chewie is on that transport and she re- releases the force lightning, she's clearly disgusted with herself. Like you can see it in her face that she is not happy with what she has just done. Whereas Luke just kind of passively is like, OK, that wasn't the right thing to do. Let's move past it. And we're going to we're going to work on this later where Ray is like, you are better than this. How dare you? You know, well, we absolutely see that in the sequel trilogy with Luke cutting himself off from the force. Right. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate rejection of uh, he's he's not you know, he's not trying to accept the darkness in him. He's just trying to wall him off himself off from it completely. Whereas, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Ray tries to she comes to terms with her own potential for darkness <laughs> and says, OK, but I'm not going to fall into that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, go ahead. Oh, I'm just gonna say, and uh, it's it's slightly off topic, but also I just I always have to say that as someone, as uh, you know, an an adult who at several points in my life thought my life was headed in this direction and this is what I was gonna do and who was gonna be, and not getting there and falling short and <laughs> feeling bad about it, mm-hmm. um, I, I I just I loved. Uh, the continuation of Luke's story of like what happens when, when you're running as fast as you can, but it's not fast enough, you know, yeah. like how, how do you mm-hmm. deal with that? Um, I love seeing him pick himself back up. Yeah. I, I, I love the way I, I think, I think the ending of the last Jedi uh, specifically when Luke is walking through that little bunker on crate. It's like, to me, one of like the emotionally, more emotionally gripping things in star Wars is his essential farewell to Leia and what is now the, what was the rebellion and is now the resistance. Um, and, and, and his send off. Like I, I absolutely love it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's like harmonious and how it, how it all flows together. And I think some of the stuff that Leia says, like, you know, she, they're the spark that will ignite the flame. And I do believe that Ray is like the spark of that revolution, you know, with the fact that she's a Palpatine, she's the light and the darkness. Um, and she's she's a new era of Jedi that will move on forward. Um, and she's when she becomes Ray Skywalker, she becomes the living essence of a legend. And I think like that's why she's become my, my favorite character is she she stands for everything that I think is Star Wars and is the Jedi. And I think the way they wrote her character, the way the Daisy Ridley just portrayed that character was just beautiful. Yeah. I think, yeah, particularly with Luke walking through the bunker on crate, he made sure to inspire hope 
mm-hmm. and comfort people on his way out. I can't imagine the prequel Jedi doing the same. Yeah, I think no, that, I agree. That's a good point. Uh, I think you know if they would have just marched straight out. They wouldn't have cared much for ensuring that the people are looked after. Yeah, yeah. in that emotional yeah. capacity, that is. No, that's a good point. Nice one to be like, get out the way, mother... <laughs> As though he's not falling 500 feet straight downwards onto Kylo's ship. That's, like, Mace on Crate becomes the Mace from the uh, from the old animated cartoon. The 2D, right? yeah. 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 <laughs> These motherfucking Force Orders on this motherfucking planet. <laughs> uh, awesome. I feel like well, might have understood that, but also that's why he had to die. With Qui Gon, there's no story. <laughs> yeah. and that's that's ultimately another thing we always have to because there's always critiques of like, well, if they had just done this, then then there'd be no movie. Um, yeah. That's why stormtroopers aren't bad shots. Um, if if they kill the heroes, then <laughs> no movie. Uh, can we talk about the, the, the TVA prevented yeah. that from happening? Um, but, I, I actually thought Finn being a stormtrooper was one of the boldest moves I've ever seen Star Wars make. A stormtrooper right at the start of the film taking off a helmet and being a person for the first time um, was, as we talked about sort of the sanitization of uh, violence earlier on, all of a sudden all those stormtroopers became people. But again, in the sequel trilogy, it kind of felt like they didn't either. Finn was the only stormtrooper who was a real person. Um, I, I, I don't, again, I don't know how they pulled it off, but I don't think I ever thought twice about of the other stormtroopers other than him. There was one that made me think twice, and that was the guy who squares off with him at the at the battle at Mascanadas, uh, who oh, said yeah. calls him a traitor. Because mm-hmm. something the delivery of that line made me think, Oh, you knew him, you had some kind of connection, whether it was an interpersonal one or even a parasocial one where they were at a distance. Um yeah. But yeah, no, but I, I agree with what you mean. Um because it's a great way of pointing out that this is a dehumanizing structure but there's still humans underneath it yeah yeah and also in the and last jedi showing troopers bleed for the first time yeah. yeah um i think in the last jedi you know the sequels boba fett captain phasma um uh at the end of the last jedi we do see her helmet crack and there is a human eye under there and it's it's obviously we don't get to see Gwendolyn Christie's face but again it is the there is a person under there and I think it is the opposite thing of there is a person there that person does believe all the things the first order believes um and it is like I think a more of a the way that is shot and the way that helmet is cracked and how she's falling um I think is a good just just good imagery of how corrupt that that organization is and how corrupt the people that were higher up in there are yeah. And that's one deleted scene I really wish was still in um, mm-hmm. the film where it has her shooting the other stormtroopers because they found out that she had actually betrayed them. She she was the epitome of that the backstabbing, conniving. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it was only it was just survival. All she cared about survival and aligning yourself with the biggest person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, we did have that scene in uh, Rise of Skywalker where. They did, in fact, um, meet other stormtroopers who defected, mm-hmm. but I, I, yeah. I, know, I think it wasn't. It was such a busy movie; they didn't have time to really focus on it. I wish that movie were forty-five minutes longer. Um, I think. Two I think. It, <laughs> I think. A, I think a three to three and a half hour send-off would have been okay. I'm, I'm shocked they didn't do it. Um, 
But yeah, no, I, I do like Finn. I do like Finn's arc, especially coming in from The Last Jedi, where he's trying to even just leave the resistance and just fight, figure out his own life. You know, Rose stops him. Yeah. Uh, and then we see him again facing his fears, um, you know, riding those animals on on the Star Destroyer, which I think is a really cool thing. And I think the quote that Rose Tico, you know, is like, that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. I mean... It's not just like an epitome of how Star Wars should be perceived, but just your life in general, you know. I mean, that's almost the fundamental essence of being a Jedi, right? It's it's never mm-hmm. about hate. It's about love and preservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah. watching Finn just be like, I've been fighting my entire life. Like, I just want to just let me be like, I just want to like. Canto bite seems cool. It. Can I go back there? <laughs> This drinks look good. I'm thirsty, and they're like, "No, sorry, man, you don't get the, you don't get the piece of life." You know, like mm. there's bigger things at stake. Sorry, it sucks, but <laughs> I I would have loved the alternative script for Rise of uh, Skywalker with him becoming a Resistance uh, general. It would have been supremely cool to see that um, Stormtrooper Rebellion in there yeah. was really cool. <laughs> I I felt like Finn was one of the few characters who whatever decision he could have made, because we saw that he was going to make some alternate decisions other than the ones that he ultimately did, would have been morally defensible. Because, you know, to, to Chaco's point, like, he's been fighting his entire life. Yeah. He had no childhood. If he wants to bow out of the fight, I'm not going to hold it against the guy. If his concern yeah. is, like, just taking care of himself, you know what? I feel like he had the moral courage uh, the moral courage to leave uh, the First Order I'm fine with that being his contribution to the fight. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold it against him that he stayed and did what he did, including riding those critters across the surface of a star destroyer, which is just objectively badass. Um, yeah. It's just all the better then. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I know. I, I totally understand people that feel like Finn could have gotten more out of his storyline. I agree, but I do think the story that we got with him, like you said, everything he did you sympathize with him and you understand when he's getting ready to leave in the last Jedi uh, and that, in that little escape pod, you understand you. It's not like, Oh, come on, man, don't do this. You're like, I get it, Finn. I get it. When he's going in to shoot that speeder into the battering ram uh, on crate, you're like, I get it. You know, this is, this is where you want to make your last stand and you totally understand it. You know, Rose saves him. And again, like, like we discussed, she epitomizes everything. Uh, But no, I think what, I think the treatment that Finn got, it could have been more, but what he got was so meaningful and so impactful. Mm-hmm. You just want to be like, that'll do Finn. In terms of character, I think no one's, you know, Finn really, again, he had, as a character, not, not as in like a portrayal of a character, but as in like his moral character was always there, uh, despite First Order indoctrination. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think in the context of Star, you know, in the context of the world would be, you know, really surprising. Because they were they well they were trying to get that out of everyone as much as possible, yeah. And, and that's why I have the really unpopular opinion that I think more Finn content should be a book, and I and I I didn't need it in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I say this because you know I, I love the original trilogy. Would it have been cool to see Leia train? Yes. Ultimately, that's not what that particular story was about. You know, would it be cool to see Han have anything relevant to do in Return of the Jedi? Um, <laughs> yes, he was just kind of around, you know, which just isn't bad. You know, uh, I 
do feel that uh, Padme kind of did get you know done dirty and then died of sadness um, yeah. because the plot. But I, I just feel like you know, but but it wasn't her story, and I'm happy to get more. I can't wait till because we're getting another Padme's book, uh, Padme book called uh, Queen's Hope coming out this April. Super excited about that. Um, for Finn, we got such deep stories with with Ray and Kylo Ren. Um, I want him to be the focus of wherever his story happens. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want a Finn mm-hmm. book or Finn series. Um, I, I think that's better than it being jammed in already busy movies. And um, you know, like you said, I think Rise of Skywalker, where they should have gone to one less planet to feel like they were just hopping from place to place and we mm-hmm. didn't sit with stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of a JJ Hallmark. It felt like it felt like a D and D group, realistically. <laughs> you know, hearing your plot lines, DMing like, "All right, we need to get on with this a bit quicker." Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't know, just just for a brief moment, like dunk on the crybaby fanboys out there who say the sequels weren't well written. Like, you wouldn't be saying Finn got done dirty, and you wanted more of Finn if that character wasn't written super well. Yeah. Mm. I, I, hats off to the the actor as well right he he was so good at, at that whole cast knocked it out yeah. like it was like the my one of my biggest like pet peeves of like the original trilogy is george lucas telling mark hamill don't cry when baru and owen are dead like you should be super sad about that that's all you have and it's taken from you and he just stares blankly at it and looks away whereas like anything and anytime anything horrible happens to a character in the sequels they react so appropriately and so emotionally and it's so gripping every time you see like you feel for those characters in the sequels just that whole cast just completely knocked it out of the park and yeah admittedly for the first half of um uh the force awakens it's just confusion and running but they they do it well (laughs) there is one thing that i would would have liked to have seen and that was a proposed character because I always got the impression that Poe was a person who grew up on the stories of Han Solo in The Force Awakens. And I think we even saw some sort of a darker side of that in The Last Jedi. I don't know that that was continued in Rise of Skywalker. Or if it did, maybe I just missed it. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing I will say is that because um, Poe was meant to die at the beginning of The Force Awakens when the, when the ship crashed. And and Oscar Isaac is just so charismatic that he's like, "All right, you're you're a character now." So, so that's that's a thing. But yeah. but real, real quick, I mean, because I I could talk to you guys forever. Um, I, I do want to be, you know, respectful of everyone's everyone's uh, nights. So I, I do want to want to go around and get um, your guys' final thoughts on anything that we've, we've missed, anything you want to pick up, as well as let us uh, uh, me let us. No, that was <laughs> that was my my wife. As well as let everyone know, you know, once again where we can find y'all and your your fantastic content. Um, and I'll I'll go to uh, Sufjan first. Uh, yeah, I mean we didn't, didn't get a chance to get, but I would love to have talked about uh, you know, is being on the light side the same as being good? Because all the good guys are on the light side, but is the light the same as the good? Um. Uh, I just don't know, really, is the answer to the question. Uh, but I, I think, unfortunately, we probably have to unpack that another time. Yeah, uh, you are all welcome to come back on. This was this was <laughs> awesome. I appreciate you, you guys coming on. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm uh, Sofian. Uh, you can catch me at Philosophy with Sof or Freeze Dry DM on TikTok. Uh, depending on what you're looking for, looking for philosophy or looking for D and D and three D printing. Um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. I appreciate it. And Chase. Uh, yeah. Uh, final thoughts. I mean, I think that can be a really good moral compass for a lot of people, depending on how you interpret it. I've I've come to my personal conclusion that the dark side and the light side are simply just manifestations of the people that use it. The force is in balance at all times. It does not come out of balance. It is us that come out of balance and it is up to us uh, to maintain the balance with us, with ourselves and with those around us. Um, that's just my interpretation of it. But yeah, um, if you ever want to talk more about stuff like that, I'd love to, but yeah, you can find me on TikTok at forward into the black. Awesome. And then before we get to, to Gabriel, I just want to do a couple more shout outs. Uh, so I want to thank everyone who's still, who's still rolling with us. We have my buddy, Isaac church, galactic mermaid, um, St. Pat, but, and also everyone's down for more fin content. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's some disparity, uh, with, whether we need three novels, a whole TV show, or, you know, St. Pat's Atrocity would be two movies. Um, but it's a safe option to do all of them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Oz, thank you, everyone, in, in the chat. But uh, last but not least, uh, Gabriel, do you have anything else to add? And where can we find you? Yeah, so I guess my final thought is that um, one of the, the thing that I love maybe the most about the Star Wars series is that the successes and failures of the heroes are collective efforts. Uh, Anakin's failure was a collective fault. Uh, Luke's uh, a, Luke's success at the end was a collective effort between him and Vader and everyone else that was trying to keep him from losing his fracking mind. Um, and, you know, Ray, you know, epitomizes this idea of interdependence and working together, especially with that final scene where she is being bolstered by the Jedi Masters of the Path because it turns out they are worth a damn. Um, <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, so yeah, I think there's a lot of beauty to that. Uh, and as far as where anyone can find me, you can find me on TikTok at doctor dot underscore c, um, and on Twitter and Instagram at ga cruz underscore phd. Awesome, um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, for for me, my mind always goes back to little Anakin as a child saying, you know, my mom always says that the biggest problem in the galaxy is no one helps one another. Fast forward to the last Jedi. They put out a call. No one comes through the actions of Luke. He inspires the galaxy and the next movie, everyone comes. There's more of us. I can't can't watch the rise of Skywalker without crying at that scene. (laughs) So I I just think it's a a beautiful moment and a, a a reminder that in order to achieve, yes, we need everyone to work together, but we also need those heroes, those, those people that we're looking up to. And I think that's what these, even in a fictional sense, having Superman as, as a beacon to look up to, to inspire you, to inspire the next generation. I think it's really important for humanity. Um, that's, my thoughts. Um, but yeah, uh, any anything else before we wrap up? Thank you guys so much. You guys, uh, Sufyan and Gabriel, you guys have been fantastic. I really, really appreciate doing this talk with you guys. 
yeah, this is this has been a lot of fun. Thank y'all for this doing this. Great. And also, in the interest of showing my own ignorance, for the longest time I thought Darth Chaco was Darth, was, uh, Darth Chocobo, like the critters from <laughs> But anyway, this has been great. Thank y'all very much. Well, now I'm very aware of a missed opportunity, uh, <laughs> and um, I may need to make some some Final Fantasy content uh, just to rectify that. But all right, everyone, thank you, uh, everyone here, everyone in the chat. Always appreciate it. It's been um, an amazing time. Um, but you know that that's the end for now, and may the force be with you always.